Amen. Well, good morning. Mom's happy. Thanks. Uh, happy, yeah, dude. I'm just going to exit, come back on, and just thank God I don't speak for a living or anything like that, right? Happy Mother's Day. We are thankful for you. Somehow I put those two together, and it was, I was aiming at Thanksgiving. I don't know. Moms, thank you for being here. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to pick up this morning. If you have been here with us, we began a new series last week. Uh, Pastor Matt, as we got to send Pastor Matt out to San Antonio, Texas, he and Meg actually are in Albuquerque at a wedding heading towards uh, San Antonio. But we had Pastor Matt kind of launch this series for us as we got to say goodbye to him and love on him and his family. And so what really what we're doing is we're spending time talking about the church. As we, as we know, as a church, we are leaning into a new season in being the church. As things have been going, uh, as things have been taking place, you know, we opened up escrow on a building. We've been just aiming into some things that are leading us into a new season. And so as we do that, really what we want to do is just take time to ask the question, what does it mean to be the church, or, or what are we called to as the church? It was funny, I was walking in this morning, and this was completely unrelated. I was talking to a friend on my way in from the car to here, and uh, he asked just how things are going. My wife and I moved about four months ago into a new house, and he was just asking, are you getting settled? I said, yeah, well, we're, we're in, we're settled-ish, you know, and, and I'm, I'm taking some time off, going to do some work on the house. He said, well... How long was your last house? It says just over seven years. He says, you could accumulate a lot of stuff in seven years, right? And I said, yeah. What I, what I, inside my heart, what I wasn't telling him was I think I moved stuff from Huntington 15 years ago to our house in the high desert back down here that I don't even think I opened up. Do you have boxes like that? Oh, thank God. I thought I was the only one. I really did think I was alone in this. Okay, so you guys are all sick and demented too. That's good. Okay, so... I have this stuff, and, and we accumulate this stuff. And his answer was, that's why I move every three to five years. And I thought, I don't ever want to move again, right? Like, <laughs> like we're going to burn this house down, or I'm going to sell it fully furnished, right? That's Because that's what we're going to do. Like, you better, the owner better fit my clothes, because that's what he's getting, right? The church has been around for like 2,000 years. And over that time, maybe it's not just boxes of things we haven't opened up in a while, but the church has been around for so long that it has accumulated things that sometimes we don't even know where we got them. Is that fair? And sometimes it's traditions, or sometimes it's values, or sometimes it's actions, or sometimes it's deeply held beliefs, but we're not even really sure where they came from. And just like, just in confession to you, I have these old dusty boxes. I'm really not sure what's inside of them. Sometimes we have these old dusty practices inside the church that we're not really sure where they came from. And so as we, as we lean in, what we do is we look all the way back to the final words of Jesus as Jesus had accomplished all that he was sent here to do. All that God become flesh had come here to accomplish on your behalf and my behalf that Jesus had lived and died and rose again and spent the time on earth appearing to hundreds of people who knew he was dead and then saw him alive. And as Jesus commissions the church, not an entity, not an organization, definitely not a building, he commissions a people that rally around the message that Jesus is alive. And he sends them 
to be his witnesses in the world. For those of you that are note takers, you know this is on the app, but uh, I want to just start off with kind of a main idea today. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus. So the church, you and I, those that gather around the message of the resurrected and living Jesus, the church is empowered by the very Spirit of God to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me and we will open up scripture. Jesus, as we gather this morning, truly it is for you that we gather. It is because you entered into our story. And more than that, that you had entered into human history, that you came and you lived the life that we have been called to live. And you, you gave your life in a place for us and you rose the dead to give us new life. Jesus, you are alive. And your church knew that that was the most significant message they could proclaim when they lived to see it. And somehow, over 2,000 years, we, we have sometimes lost the main thing and gathered up other things. And, and just like I see in, in my garage or in my home right now, I, sometimes it's just time to go through and purge or to remember, to focus again. And just say, Jesus, we want to be the church you called us to be. And so, Jesus, will you speak to us? We sit here, we wait, we listen, we, we ask that you would open our hearts. Jesus, may I fade somewhere into the background, and will you speak? It's your words that give us life. Jesus, my words do nothing. So come, speak, let us hear and be changed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 1, we're going to start just in the middle of it. We're going to run through the end of it really quickly. Uh, Lise, can I get my waters over there somewhere? Sorry, that wasn't distracting at all, right? Verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. I'll meet you up front. Since it's completely awkward, I'll just take it right here. Thank you, Tom. Everybody say thank you, Tom. Yay. No, okay. I just need an excuse to take a drink. Thank you. It says, when they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. A Sabbath day journey away means short walk. So they returned to Jerusalem where Jesus had told them to remain. So here's the story. Jesus has just ascended visibly back to heaven. So again, Jesus lived, taught, healed, proclaimed the message of the kingdom. He had lived. He had said, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And then Three days later, I'm going to return to life. Now imagine you're the disciples hearing this message, and just imagine you probably don't understand the message the first time through. Like, okay, I got it. You're living, okay? You're going to die, but I think you're the very message of God. I think you are God entering into the flesh, so I'm not really sure how that's going to play out. And this whole returning thing, I'm completely unclear of. And then Jesus lives this out. He lives. He is betrayed. He's betrayed and then crucified, beaten, and died. He's placed in a tomb. And for the most part, his disciples kind of scatter back to what they had done before. Really, in that short window of time, they really think, okay, maybe we misunderstood him. Maybe we didn't understand we believed he was the Messiah, the promise of God from the Old Testament, the promise of thousands of years of God promising to enter into human history and redeem a broken humanity. And so they, they kind of settle into like, this isn't what I thought it was. 
And then Jesus raises from the dead, shows himself to them, and really transformed them. And again, you have to imagine this. We may have heard this message hundreds or thousands of times over decades of however long we've been alive. But you've got to understand, he lived with them. He breathed with them. He ate with them. He talked with them. He taught them. They followed him and proclaimed him Messiah. And then he was crucified in front of them. When he shows up back alive, they're transformed. They have seen a man dead and buried for days. And then he is back alive and he spends week with, weeks with them proclaiming he is alive forever. And so they are rallied around this message that Jesus is alive. He's everything we've believed. He is God entered into human history. He is the Messiah. He is salvation. He is life. And in him, we have life. And Jesus says, listen, just as you have seen me, just as you have been my witnesses, you are going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the surrounding areas, and then to the ends of the earth. And, and really, we are this ends of the earth message. But before Jesus ascends, he says one more thing. He says, I want you to wait right here. I want you to wait until I pour out my spirit on you. I empower you. And then, once that's taken place, and then you will be my witnesses. And so these are the words that they are left with. And so as Jesus ascends from a hill, they walk a short walk back down into Jerusalem. And about 120 of them gather. So it's a group like this, gathered, who have seen Jesus alive. And they begin to fast and to pray. Verse 13, it says this. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room, and they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, which became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was number among us, and he was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man, meaning Judas, acquired a field with his reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, his bowels gushed out. Delightful verse from Mother's Day. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so the field was called in their own language, Akodama, meaning the field of blood. So here's the story. As the disciples gather back up, the 12th disciple, Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, goes, literally takes the money he was given to betray Jesus, buys a field, and hangs himself. And the reason I, I, I started back far enough to catch this part of the story is I wanted to go from the very message of Jesus to what the disciples do and how they understand themselves in light of what Jesus has called them to. And so they return, and Peter begins to rise up and speak in this group of about 120, literally probably just smaller than this group. That's the church at this point. And those are the people, they'd seen Jesus alive. They'd seen him live, die, and be alive again. And they are forever empowered by this message. They are witnesses with their own eyes. And Jesus has called them to go and share what they have seen with others. And so as Peter points out, listen, we have one who betrayed us as was promised long ago. Verse 24, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp be desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And 
let another take his office. So Peter sees that there is a role that is missing. Peter sees that not only was Judas foretold to betray Judas, to betray Jesus, but then after that, someone should take his place. And so they're gathered together and they're saying, listen, we, we need someone to fulfill that office, that role of authority, that, that place that we thought, had we understood things, we'd have been different, but we thought was to be Judas. Verse 21, so the men who have accompanied us during all that time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. So that's from the very time that Jesus enters in and speaks first and is baptized all the way up to his ascension. Peter says, let's find somebody who's been with us that long. One of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. So here's what Peter is saying. Listen, I want to find someone who's been around the whole time. Now, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, uh, and, and if you're not familiar with the gospel stories, there's really, there's Peter, James, and John that were the closest to Jesus. There's 12 disciples that includes Judas who had betrayed him. There are 72 that are constantly around him. And then there are the crowds. And really what Peter is saying is we're missing someone. And we believe that someone is supposed to take his place. So let's look at the field. Let's, let's look within these 72 people. Let's find one of the men that had been with us since the baptism of Jesus all the way up to seeing him live, die, and live again, live eternally, and see him ascend into heaven. Let's find one from among us. And again, their desire is that they would fulfill the words Jesus had given them, that they would be a witness to Jesus, that when the Spirit comes upon them, when they are empowered by Jesus, that they would be his witnesses literally to the ends of the earth. So they're saying in order for someone to be a witness like Jesus has called us to, we want this witness to have seen everything from the baptism to the ascension. So they gather together, and this is what they rally around. Verse 23, and they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. Apostleship here in the New Testament is often taken to be a, a position of authority or a role. And... and an apostle was not, I'm not having the best day. I'm glad this isn't Mother's Day or anything special. All right, so apostleship exists outside the New Testament. It exists outside the church. And really what an apostle was is a messenger that a king would give a message and authority to to send and go speak on his behalf. When we hear it 2,000 years later in the church, we read it in the context of the Bible or in the Gospels or the New Testament what we hear is the 12 apostles. And so what we immediately do is, is, is limit this word to meaning these people. And we tend to give them positions of authority and we tend to give them different roles. But literally all apostle tr truly means are those who are sent with the authority of a king, with the message of a, a king to relay that message. That's what it means. And so they're saying, listen, here's what we need to do. We need to choose one more who will take this message with the authority of King Jesus, with the message of King Jesus, and with his authority, take this message out. Verse 26, and so they cast lots from there. It literally means they kind of roll dice, if you will. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered among the 11 apostles. 
Literally, they kind of pray and talk and then rock, paper, scissors their way to the next leader. It's kind of what happens, right? Now, again, remember, they're told, I want you to wait here. And when my spirit comes upon you, then you're going to be empowered to be what I've called you to be. Now, we never hear from Matthias again, and I'm sure he's a great guy. I, I just don't see where Matthias ever fulfills this role. In fact, what happens, and we'll see this in Acts 9 as we get there in just a few weeks, what we see is Jesus transform a life of a man who is actually a persecutor of Christianity. He will meet this man on a road and literally speak to him and blind him to get his attention and then transform him, and he will go on to plant churches and write letters that will fill the New Testament. But I just want you to step back from it and say, okay, before the Holy Spirit comes down, I think Peter has really good intentions. I think he means well. I think the criteria is good. Let's have someone who's known Jesus since the baptism of Jesus all the way to the ascension. But really what you get is someone we've never heard of again. And they're trying to fill a role, and Peter's trying to do his best. And if you know much about the Gospels, Peter has had great successes and some pretty epic failures, right? He's, been on, he's had some really good highs and some really good lows. But recently, just before the death of Jesus, Peter betrays Jesus and denies Jesus three times in one night. One time to a crowd, one time to a little servant girl. Uh, it, it's not an epic record of Peter being a bold man for Jesus. So Peter's had, again, highs and lows. But what you'll see here as the Holy Spirit empowers Peter, Peter will go and undergo a transformation. But this is Peter before that. Acts 2 starts with this. And on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So again, the church is gathering together. This is this, over a series of seven to ten days. The church continues to gather together. And what happens is they gather together and pray and break bread and they begin to talk. Literally in the middle of this, Matthias comes and takes a role. And, and as they're doing this, they're gathered and they're all in one place. And, the, and another feast day comes called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost in the church tends to, to, to uh, refer to this one day. But Pentecost was a Jewish feast. And really, it's, Pentecost comes from the word 50 days later. It's, it's 50 days after Passover. And what Pentecost is, is the harvest of first fruits. And so if you grow food for a living, this is the day where you go out and food has fully ripened for the first time. And so what they would do is they would take this first fruits crop and they would, they would have a feast day and they would offer sacrifice and praise and worship and they would worship God on this day of first fruits. And what they were really saying is thanking God for what God had given them and they were looking forward to God's supply for them. And so it's that feast day when all of this takes place. Again, 2,000 years later, a lot of times we hear Pentecost and all we think of is this very one Pentecost day. But the idea that this is a celebration of first fruits is not meaningless. This is the first time the Spirit is going to pour out on the church and empower the church to be what Jesus has called them to be. So verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty and rushing wind, and it filled an entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I, I want you to imagine this, not with 2,000 years of eyes on this, but imagine this has never taken place before. You're gathered together. It's a feast day. Maybe it's Easter or Christmas or Fourth of July or Mother's Day for us, right? It's a day 
where people gather together and they celebrate. And as they are gathered together, the church, as they're all together, something significant happens while they're meeting and while they're praying and while they're fasting and they're spending time together. All of a sudden, a loud sound, some obvious motion, and some visible transformation is taking place. Literally, they hear something like a rushing wind. And they see something as if like fire is dividing and landing on each one of them. And all of them begin to speak, but not in something that is natural to them. And as this takes place, Jesus is fulfilling the promise that has come from thousands of years of promise from God. That he will pour out his spirit on those who follow him. But I want you to understand, if this had never taken place before, if you had never read this passage, or maybe you haven't, but if this had never taken place before, this is landing in Jerusalem in the very city that crucified Jesus. It's landing there in the, in the feast that is following Passover. And it's right then, right there, never happened before, and it's taking place right now, and this is landing on the first church. I want you to hear this again. Verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I, I want you to ask this question. Now, today is not a theology of the Spirit. This is not some all-encompassing message about every time the Holy Spirit engages the church and what all that can mean. This is asking the question, who are we as the church? What are we to be as the church? What has Jesus called us to be? What has Jesus empowered us to do? So as we read this passage, this isn't true for every passage, but I want you to ask this question. What exactly is this the fulfillment of? What has Jesus said he, he wants us to do? And what has Jesus said he's going to do? And what is Jesus fulfilling in this moment? So what is the command that Jesus has called all his church to be? We've been talking about this now for two weeks. What is it? Right, that we would be his witnesses. But then he says, now wait here. I want you to wait here until I empower you to be my witnesses. Like, don't just go out and do it. I want to be a part of it. I'm going to empower you. I will enable you that you can be my witnesses. Now, you got to understand, the difference in being an empowered witness for Jesus is not just being able to tell someone facts or share a story with someone or show scripture to someone or share the gospel. It's not just that. It's joining Jesus with him empowering you where someone's heart and life is being transformed. And so he says, I want you to wait here. I want to fill you with my power, and then, only then, will you be my witnesses. And so Jesus enters into, so the Holy Spirit enters into this story just as Jesus had promised. And they begin to speak in other languages not prior known to them. Now, if we're called to be witnesses for Jesus, can you see how that might be a benefit? Can you, can you see about how being able to speak another language or being fluent in another language, how, can you see how that might be a benefit to the story? Watch as this unfolds a little bit more. Now, verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Okay, so we're getting a little bit more. The author, Luke, is telling us, here's what's taking place. Imagine this. There's been a feast 50 days prior for Passover. Many Jews would come into town and they would celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. Kind of, they would make this, like, this trip, this journey that they would spend time there. And if they could, if they could afford it, they would spend the time from Passover to Pentecost and, and maybe only get to do this once in a lifetime. They may not be able to do this all the time. 
So diaspora Jews, or Jews that had been dispersed all over the planet, would travel back and they would spend one of or both of these feasts there. And so now it's Pentecost. It's a big feast in the Jewish calendar. And Jews from all over the world, all different nations, all different languages, who may have had some common Hebrew, some Hebrew in common, but who speak other languages of all, traveled back into Jerusalem. And now the Holy Spirit enters into a church, a little tiny church meeting in a room, a little bit smaller than this, and they gather together and it begins to fill them and empower them and give them speech in other languages that they didn't know ahead of time. As this story unfolds, it begins to make more and more sense. Verse 6, it says, And the sound, the multitude, and at this sound, the multitude came together. This is the crowds outside. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his or her own language. So Jews have traveled in from who knows how far away, speaking who knows what kind of language. And they've come in to celebrate Pentecost, the Feast of First Fruits. And as they're doing so, this amazingly strange and loud and powerful noise comes upon this one house where a, lar- where a gathering of, of, of really, I mean, a large gathering for a house, where they're gathering together, and these, this, these, these Jews, these Christians, these followers of Jesus are praying together, and this sound takes place, and something audible and something visible takes place, and all of a sudden, this 120 followers of Jesus begin to speak in languages they'd not heard, but it's hearable outside where they're gathered. And the crowd starts to circle around them. And as they gather around them, they begin to look at one another and go, okay, how is it that we understand them? Better yet, how is it that we're understanding them in our own languages? Now remember, this is in the context of Jesus saying, listen, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, where they begin to speak other languages, to the ends of the earth where people speak all kinds of languages. But wait here until I empower you to do so. And so as they gather and wait, Jesus does exactly as he says he will. He pours out his spirit on them. The spirit fills them. They begin to speak in these other languages, and a crowd gathers. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the part of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I want you to see this story for what it is. I know that over years of 2,000 years of the church, I know that this story has become a lot of things. And I'm not saying that this is the limit to the Holy Spirit, and it isn't by any stretch of the imagination. But as Jesus' final words before he ascends are that I'm going to make you, I'm going to empower you, I'm going to cause you to be my witnesses. Wait. When Jesus fulfills this, they don't even have to try. They don't even leave their room yet, and crowds of thousands are gathering outside, as we'll see some numbers come up in a minute. And we'll see these Parthians and Medes and Egyptians and Libyans and Syrians and all these people begin to gather outside, and here's really the amazing thing. 
We know that God is causing them inside this room to speak in a language they didn't know. But what's amazing outside is everyone listening hears everyone speaking in their own native tongue. And the way this is written, it goes from language to tongue, and it's not all just one word in the original. This one actually kind of boils down to, like in our own dialect, like the difference between Southern California and maybe the, the East Coast. I mean, like, dialed down to, like, it sounds like they're, like they're just right from where we're from. And I hear them, and they're proclaiming the mighty works of God. They're talking, they're saying, they're speaking. We understand them. And they're saying about this wonderful God. They're speaking things, miraculous, amazing things about God. Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? They understand that this isn't normal. They understand that this is miraculous. They understand that this isn't just human. Even the listeners, the hearers, none of whom are followers of Jesus, are listening in, and here's what they know. This is big. This is huge. And I don't understand it. Verse 12, it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. So the crowd outside, some are perplexed. That doesn't sound like a positive thing. Some are amazed. That sounds a little more positive. And others begin to mock. Now, here's kind of the reality of a modern-day church. There's this big spectrum that goes from those who ignore passages like this about the Holy Spirit, and they just kind of say, well, that was just something that took place back then, and we don't really do anything with that today. And then there's churches way on the other end of the spectrum that tend to worship the gifts of the Spirit more than the Spirit. And churches tend to land within that spectrum. And so it is incumbent upon us, as we, as we land here, we ask, okay, what is the Spirit doing? Like, what is God doing through this? How does this relate to us today? And so far, what we can for sure say is the Spirit is fulfilling Jesus' very command to be witnesses for him. And then we can assume, okay, that... That, that calls still us, and so we still must need the Holy Spirit. And whether or not that's in English or that's in another language or however that plays out, because a lot of us live in, in neighborhoods where you just go a couple doors and maybe they speak, a, or maybe their first language is a different first language than yours. What a great benefit this might be just to be able to communicate a little bit better. But even more so, as the crowd is listening, as they begin to gather, clearly God is doing something by gathering these people, and some of them are asking more questions. As God is speaking to their heart, they're not just hearing words they understand, but their heart is being drawn in. As we ask questions about the Holy Spirit, I, I want to just give some notes today. As the Holy Spirit pours out on the church for the first time, we see him, and please understand, the Holy Spirit is a him, not an it. Right, that this is the third member of the Trinity. This is a hymn, the person and work of the Holy Spirit is what we're talking about today. As we see him empower the church to share Jesus with others, just as Jesus said he would do. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. This is addressing the crowds. This is potentially addressing the crowds that Jesus, just 50 or so days ago, had denied Jesus, that Peter had denied Jesus to. Peter hears and sees what's going on, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter goes out and begins to speak to the crowd, and he says this, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. 
Listen, Peter is going to go outside and preach a message to a crowd of thousands. And what you've got to understand is Peter's not that guy before this, right? Peter's a guy with a lot of hits and misses, right? A lot of epic highs and epic lows. But right now, Peter is coming off one of the biggest failures in Peter's life. One of the things that he will go on and late in his life, he will still be writing about the day that Jesus called him back from that failure. This isn't Peter. This isn't normal human Peter. This is Peter empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, if you're a note taker, I want to walk through just a handful of things. Peter recently denied Jesus to a small crowd and a young girl. Yet now empowered by the Holy Spirit, goes out to a large crowd to proclaim the gospel. And I would add to a crowd, a hostile crowd that had just killed Jesus less than two months earlier. Many of those who lived in Jerusalem were the ones shouting for the crucifixion. As Peter, transformed, empowered by the Holy Spirit, walks out, this is a brand new Peter. This is a new Peter. This is the Peter we will see go on throughout the rest of his life. Not that this makes him perfect. He's not a superhero. He'll have failures. But this is the Peter we see empowered by Jesus to be a witness about the gospel. Verse 15 says this. Peter continues. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. It's probably 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days... I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. In this context, prophesy doesn't necessarily mean like future telling, but just speaking God's truth with God's authority. It could mean something in the future, but that's not, it's not limited to that in this context. Verse 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. And the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter begins. And I don't know that I've ever seen. I, this could. I could be wrong. But I don't know that I've ever seen Peter quote scripture before. But as he steps out to this crowd. Now empowered by Jesus. He begins to reach deep back into the prophets. And as he proclaims this passage. If you're in community groups. You're going to pull this passage apart a little bit more. During your community groups this week. But he reminds this crowd, listen, and he reminds a Jewish crowd about a Jewish prophet. He says, remember, this is what God has been saying. These people aren't drunk. They're, this is God fulfilling what God had promised to do. He says, listen, God said he would pour out his spirit. God is doing that right now. Verse 22, Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, I want to break off there. Now, who does Peter say was the first witness, the first testimony to who Jesus was? God. He says, listen, God testified to him. God said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. God did miracles through him. God did all this. He's speaking to a Jewish crowd that had really called for the crucifixion of Jesus. And he's saying, listen, but God testified to him first. We're coming along after that. But this is in fulfillment to what God had said all along. He goes on, verse 23. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
I'm going to say this a lot throughout this series. As we, as we work through the book of Acts, I'm going to challenge you to look at the gospel messages proclaimed by the apostles in Acts, or even Stephen coming up here pretty soon. And look at the content of the gospel message and just contrast that to the modern-day church. Here's, here's Peter's message. Jesus is alive. You know the Jesus you killed, he says, by the hands of lawless men. He takes aim both at the Jews and the Romans at that moment. Not because they're Jewish, not because they're Roman. He aims at the actual crowd who had called for the crucifixion of Jesus. He said, this is who God testified, who did miracles through, who showed you. He spoke the words of God. You knew. You should have known. You should have seen. Here he was. And God even spoke from heaven and said, this is my son. And you crucified him. You betrayed him. But God raised him from the dead. And the gospel message proclaimed in Acts Jesus is alive. It's hard to, it's hard to have that emphasis 2,000 years later when you were not the one who saw him live and die and then live again. It's hard to remember how profound that piece of it is when you saw him visibly. But Peter stands out to this crowd and says, listen, here's what you've got to know. The man you killed, God raised from the dead and is alive now and is seated on the throne in heaven. Again, he is not marketing forgiveness to them. He's not marketing eternity to them. He's saying, listen, this Jesus you killed is alive. God raised him from the dead. Whatever you believed before that, God has said is wrong. Whatever you believed about Jesus when you betrayed him and crucified him, God raised him from the dead. God is saying, listen, you need to see or you need to hear. You need to know what I'm saying about Jesus because instead of letting him die, I rose him from the grave. I resurrected him from the dead. Imagine the message. Again, imagine this had never taken place. Imagine Jesus had never come. And somewhere, at some point in the world, right here, right now, just a grenade of social media went off. Someone's saying, listen, I walked with him for three years. We buried him for three days, and I am with him now. And he is alive today. Or we saw him ascend visibly back into heaven. Hundreds of people saw him live, die, live again, ascend. Can you imagine how that message would ripple out, especially in the age of social media, 24-hour news cycle? Can you imagine the story? But if you also follow social media or the 24-hour news cycle, how long does it take for a story to dwindle? Not very long. Right? This is about a president. Not very long, right? And just as you can get some distance of 2,000 years between here and there, and you can miss the weight of the message of God raised one person from the dead this way, and he is alive today. And that is the gospel message in Acts. That was the message of the early church. If you're a note taker, the gospel in Acts is this. If you look closely through the book of Acts, you will see that the gospel shared by the apostles focused on a living Jesus, not just forgiveness of sins or heaven. The person and work of Christ are more important than the benefits we derive. doesn't mean we don't derive benefits. It just means that the person of Christ is primary. The works of Christ are primary. The fact that he is alive is primary to the message. Verse 25, it says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. 
my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades or death, nor did his his flesh see corruption. Peter, standing and proclaiming the words, first of a prophet, a man named Joel, now of King David, one of the most prolific leaders in all of Israel ever, saying, listen, he said this would happen. He prophesied this would happen. We have been told this was coming. And now God has seen fit to make it take place. Verse 32, he says, this Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 